Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 79. Today we're talking the legend stage of the Berlin Major and some incoherent ramblings about whether or not we might in fact actually be God. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Ferry. Code Zero. Flusher. This is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the Truth? The Truth. The Truth. The Truth. The Truth. The Truth CSGO podcast. The Truth CSGO podcast. The Truth CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? All right, so we're going to talk the legend stage. We're going to talk some roster stuff. Uh, I'm just going to be doing a bit of musing about how I think we're all just God. Uh, but in the in the first place, let's just chat for a second about heart rate. The heart rate issue I brought up last episode. If you recall, or if you didn't hear it, I experienced when I was sick an increased uh, ability in Counter Strike. And I put this down to potentially some sort of uh, heart rate difference um, from when I'm usually well. And the reason I thought this could be the case is because after I got better, my resting heart rate felt a bit lower. But when I had adrenaline spikes, my heart rate went up too quickly for me to adjust to how quickly it jumped up. So especially when I was in a clutch, let's say a 1v4, my heart rate would have been completely normal chatting along with my teammates and then all of a sudden shot up and I wasn't used to uh, basically the jolt that it gave me and um, my decision-making was very impaired. Now, listeners, Louis and Amon Brotep reached out in the Discord to assure me that, yes, in fact, when you are sick, your heart rate does speed up. I assume that's to help you uh, get rid of unwanted you know, viruses or bacteria or whatever it is that's uh, plaguing your body. And so this would make sense because I was uh, crossing the street once and I witnessed a car accident um, on the opposite street and all I remember is this car accident happening in incredibly slow motion and by the end of it, I was on the other side of the street and had not been aware at all of myself walking across there. And this seems to be the sort of uh, hyper-focused state that uh, you get into when you've practiced and practiced and practiced a particular um, e-sport or sport or activity and it also brings to mind if you've ever been exercising and listening to music at the beginning at the end you might notice that the music seems a bit slower after the exercise so one of the easiest ways to test this is listen to an EDM track because it's got a very recognizable beat a 4-4 uh, time signature at the very beginning of your workout, have a listen to it. Notice how it just feels normal to you, kind of fast if you've been sitting down all day and your heart rate's low. And then at the very end, listen to it again and it will appear, it will seem to you quite slow. In fact, slowed down. Um, and I guess this has something to do with the way our heart rate uh, is reaching our senses or something. We're able to, um, our senses are engorged, I guess. It's bringing in more information, which does make one wonder whether you could actually experience your lifetime in uh, in a little bit more slow motion um, depending on the rate of your heart and it also makes one wonder whether um, athletes are experiencing a lot more than the rest of us because of this it does also call into question the um, practice i've recommended before on this podcast of meditating before a game and i think there needs to be an important distinction made between meditation so that you get too relaxed and meditation so that your brain is clear and you can be focused because if you're too relaxed, your heart rate is actually too low to be taking in too much. Um, and you'll get surprised, especially when your heart rate jumps up during a clutch. Because the juxtaposition, I think, or the surprise that it gives you when your heart rate fluctuates wildly like that, at least is my experience, 
just makes me make the most stupid decisions. So if you're going to meditate before a match and you're a bit worried, you've got some anxiety about some other things, that's all well and good. Just make sure that you're not lying down doing it and you don't do it for too long. So you're getting sleepy and uh, lethargic. Just do your mental exercises, um, clear out some of the crud. Uh, and I think you'll be able to achieve that state of relaxed, focused, focusness, <laughs> focus, focus, just focus um, a lot easier. So, yeah, so we're going to talk about the legend stage now. But before we do, let's just have a little bit of Chopin, because why not? The guy was one of the greatest piano composers of all time. And the fact that he composed all this stuff before the age of 39 is just absolutely bananas. So here he is, Frederick, straight out of Poland slash France, bringing it to you with some etudes. That was Cecil Licard, and that track was provided by the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. What a genius. Basically the simple slash Zywoo of piano compositions. We'll have more from him later. Now, the Legend stage played out uh, over the last week. <sighs> you probably know what happened. Do I really need to repeat it all? Um, basically, the people who did not make it through were Dream Eaters and Last. I'm going to go back in order of ascending. Dream Eaters, Ninjas in Pajamas, North, Phase Clan, MIBR, Crazy, G2, and Mouse Sports. Dream Eaters, as expected. Ninjas in Pajamas absolutely crapped the bed. Forest, in particular, just looked like a forest I have never really seen. Um, he was disastrous. North, disappointed. Um, as per Phase, had one good um, match up against Mouse Sports on Mirage. As I was afraid, it wasn't really enough. They wasn't like they were gelling at all. They just had a couple of new strats. Um, in fact, they even got beaten by Renegades 2-1, which knocked them out. MIBR, um, kind of as expected, having Zeus as a coach. Crazy put up a good fight. They had two victories against Nip and FaZe, but 
weren't good enough to beat Astralis or Na'Vi. G2, this was a heartbreaking run for these guys. They beat Na'Vi first off, lost to, lost to Astralis, and then beat MRBR. But then lost to Avangar and Renegades, and the Renegades match was absolutely down to the wire. Could have gone either way. Testament to the Aussie boys for kicking them out of the race. Mouse Sports, I think actually Mouse Sports is kind of expected. I think I put them through to to actually go through, but if I'd considered it, I probably wouldn't have. Um, they don't really have the solid, I don't know, uh, dyads and triads that teams like Liquid have, like Astralis have, like um, the SK Core had. They still just seem to be sort of doing some very obvious strats as a team um, and not really improvising too much in duos. And I think that's part of the problem with Carrigan's, uh, the way Carrigan calls, because that's kind of how um, FaZe ended up, I think, running into the ground a bit. There wasn't enough of that dyad chemistry going. The plays didn't rely enough on that, actually, I think, to keep them a top team, even when the strats had, had sort of been run dry and red dry. Uh, Renegades made it through, as we said. They beat Dream Eaters, FaZe, and then uh, G2. Awesome for the boys. Na'Vi, uh, I didn't see any of Na'Vi's games, so if you had an opinion about them, let me know. As I said last step, I just couldn't do it to myself this time. Could not do it. Um, <clears throat> but they managed to beat MIBR, Crazy, and Dream Eaters. So a relatively easy run, especially when you compare them to someone like Mouseports, who had FaZe, North, Na'Vi, and then Vitality and Liquid. They really got the uh, <clears throat> rough end of the um, stick, the pointy end of the stick. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, spiky end of the um, <clears throat> club or mace. Liquid, uh, as per expected, went through with victories over Crazy and uh, North and Mouse Sports. They actually lost to NRG on Dust 2, and they lost to Avangar on Overpass, which was unexpected. But as um, even the players have admitted themselves, they're a bit shaky. Had a bit of a confidence shake-up from the player break. <clears throat> Avangar are the real surprises here. They uh, lost to Ents on Overpass, but then beat uh, Renegades, Liquid, and G2 to make it through. They're actually looking pretty damn hot right now. I think they're a bit of an upswing. Vitality <clears throat> only went down to Ents in the best of three. They beat North, FaZe, and Mouseports pretty convincingly. And Astralis managed to pull it out beating Dream Eaters, G2, and Crazy. However, they did lose a best of three to uh, NRG, who beat them 2-0. So those guys have a lot of uh, distance to cover in the last few days, especially confidence-wise, I would say. They're a bit in the similar boat to Liquid, I'd say. Although, obviously, starting further back in the confidence uh, train, uh, Ents were the ones who went, who got the first 3-0, they beat Avangar, MIBR, and Vitality, and NRG. Also got a 3-0 against, 3-0 uh, I should say, against Renegades, Liquid, and Astralis. Now, Ents were surprising to me. As I'd predicted, <clears throat> they wouldn't have the, um, how do we say it, the uh, foundations with Alexi B on the way out. But they did put out a video uh, which went to great pains to illustrate that Ents was still in a good spot. There was no bad blood. The very first uh, clip in this video, which was a summary, basically, of the challenger stage, was a picture of Alexi B and Alu sitting side by side. Uh, I don't know whether that convinces me of anything, actually, because I think it was the coach who came out and said, 
everybody who's speculating that Alu's kicked Alexi B out for such and such reasons or you know personality reasons has no idea. There's all sorts of drama that no one knows about. Whatever, passive aggressive gossip. Um, <clears throat> but doesn't convince me. However, Ents are looking very, very sharp. Alu especially is looking like a monster. If those guys get dust to picked against them in any part of this next uh, stage, then him on short is hopefully going to give us some more highlights. NRG, uh, they, these, these are the ones who've really surprised me the most. Uh, I've been pretty cynical, pretty doubting about these guys. And in fact, I've put them as my pick to win the major at this point because they are the only ones who I can see have actual kind of momentum that started before this tournament now they didn't get off to the the greatest start with the whole tournament but they've got a lot to prove in a way that the other teams don't liquid has been basically hailed as um you know demigods by every analyst and uh, caster uh australis have had a serious area and a serious tumble from grace um and Vitality is still new and shaky. Avanga has somewhere to prove, but haven't yet really had the success to build upon um, like NRG have, who've been sitting in the top five for, what, a year now, year and a half? Um, Navi obviously have something to prove, although less to prove, considering Zeus has already won a major. Uh, and Renegades, I don't think, have the same confidence. Uh, I think they're in the same boat as Avanga, probably where the momentum perhaps isn't there in the upswing for them. So... My pickums are Ents to beat Renegades, a Vanguard to beat Vitality, uh, a Liquid to beat Astralis, NRG to beat Navi, NRG to then beat Astralis and go into the grand final. Um, and I think I put a Vanguard to beat Ents. And then, yeah. A grand final with NRG and Avangar. That would be amazing. Um, <clears throat> so there's some memes in there, but you know, it could happen. It's not uh, out of the realm of possibility. Uh, what else we have to talk about? We've got some roster changes, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Vice has quit CSGO. He's going to go and study. Vice, you will know most recently from playing a short stint on Cloud9. His name is Daniel Kim. Wish him all the best. Nothing more to say about that because I don't have it prepared. And I'm not going to improvise it because I don't know enough about him. Now, Fnatic, actually, <clears throat> this is one of the bigger roster newses, roster newses, roster items that has happened in the last week. They have decided to clear house. They're pushing Jumpy out of the uh, airplane and uh, they've brought in Samuelson <clears throat> to be the coach. Now, he was the manager there for two years previously. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's uh, never been clear to me exactly what Jumpy has been doing as a coach. And they appear to be in good terms, but think it's just perhaps time to for a real uh, shake-up. I don't know what it would be like going from a manager to a coach, but perhaps this guy has been the one who's actually been doing some of the coaching work behind the scenes. Who knows? Now, uh, this is going to be a short app because that's basically all the news. There's some other gossip. There's some other stuff, um, none of which I probably have much of an opinion on if I can't recall it at this point in time. So what I was thinking about in the last week was precipitated by a uh, some therapy I attended at a rehab clinic. This was not therapy necessarily for me. This was a relative of mine who was undergoing um, basically a sort of <coughs> intensive three-week... Um, how do you say it? It's a treatment for addictions and depressions and anxieties and, and personality disorders or emotional disorders i guess 
there's a better way to say it that sounds a little less harsh than that. That's, that's basically what it is. And the patients or inpatients do <clears throat> uh, single therapy and group therapy and activities and they're not allowed any sort of addictive substances, no sugar, no phones, uh, not even any exercise, in fact. And the reason for that is that they are encouraged to avoid their uh, escape from emotions. So some people get addicted to exercise as a way to escape from emotions or thinking about the problems in much the same way as someone might get addicted to eating donuts um, or playing Counter-Strike. <coughs> Pardon me. I've got a uh, regular frog these days, don't I? So anyway, one of the things that we chanted out as a group was a slogan that was taken from originally Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, and the tenet of Alcoholics Anonymous essentially is surrendering control uh, of your life in some way to a higher power. Now, I always assume this higher power was something religious. And in fact, I always thought it was exactly the same as the Freemasons. If you don't know anything about the Freemasons uh, and you want to know, actually, you should go to the Freemason place because they will tell you. <laughs> they don't have any secrets. You just have to ask them. Um, but one of the tenets of being a Freemason is that you don't tell anyone about it uh, or try and um, recruit anyone unless they ask. But anyway, the Freemasons have a basically an initiation ritual or a joining ritual when you uh, decide to become a Freemason. And one of the things you have to do is swear on whatever book it is that they use. I forget what it was. Um, Prisoner of Azkaban or something. And swear that you believe in a higher power. And I always just thought this was exactly the same as this AA uh, tenet. And it turns out that I was wrong on both counts because they don't actually mean necessarily a religious God. And they don't also mean um, sort of a God of your choosing or, or, or another sort of God as we might think of it. Um, I always assumed, look, even if this isn't the Roman Catholic God, uh, it's a Hindu God or a Buddhist God or some sort of spiritual being or what... Um, young people or some people I guess these days just call some sort of um, higher purpose or greater meaning uh, and I always thought that was kind of rubbish I'd never had any evidence of anything like that so why would I ascribe to anything like that but as we were doing this um, chant basically before and after every meeting we had which was um, to the gods and goddesses of your choosing God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the wisdom, no, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. As I was doing this, I was really thinking about the gods and goddesses of your choosing and where our gods came from and what they might have represented as a metaphor in our lives. And I think because we've always, as far as I can tell, we've always had some sort of religion it must have arisen out of a need. And I'm not sure that it's necessarily a need for meaning because in some ways, the search, the struggle for survival and connecting with people is enough meaning for most people, it would appear. But I think it's actually a way to understand our subconscious. And what I mean by this is uh, we have senses that are activated basically all the time. And yet we're only paying attention to a very small fraction of those senses um, and this means where we have we have a very narrow field of, uh, of focus right our eyes might be taking in a huge part of 
what's in front of us, but we're only focusing on one small thing and missing out other details. And the same goes for hearing and touch and smell and all that kind of thing. So somewhere along the line, there are signals being sent to our brain from these sensors, and which means that somewhere in our brain, we're recording it. And that is basically what we would call the subconscious. And, the, and what this results in is a large part of our brain that essentially is a lot smarter than us and has a lot more information. And the intelligence of this part of our brain can be seen, uh, I think, at least in, in my knowledge, um, well, in certain therapies, right? So I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but there was a guy called Jacques Lacan in France who developed this thing called brief therapy. And that was a session where you sat down with a therapist and the session ended the moment you had what he called a sonic boom. And a sonic boom was essentially when during talking to him about a dream or something that had happened to you that you weren't sure about the meaning of, you had some sort of reaction. And the reaction was to, was the your subconscious putting together the answer for you before your conscious mind did it. So I've given an example on this before, so I won't bother you guys again. But basically, you might um, scratch yourself or get up to pee or cough or want to leave or want to change the subject. And that was what he saw as a sonic boom. And rather than explaining to you what the meaning was, he could he could identify that you knew what it was and he'd say, the session's over, go home and think about this because the answer's inside you. Anyway, <clears throat> it reminded me, thinking about this again as well, reminded me of this idea uh, of the oracle, the oracle at Delphi in Greece, that had a sign over the entrance that said, know thyself. And I've talked a lot about knowing yourself on this podcast before, not only in terms of the importance of um, knowing yourself because <laughs> there's algorithms out there that know us better than we know ourselves. Um, but also in terms of the <clears throat> generational gap, perhaps, the that my dad's generation are not really that interested in knowing themselves, uh, at least in the way I think we might be on the whole. Um, and also this idea that we already know the answers to our problems, which I find fascinating. Now, if you are a podcast addict, um, like I used to be, I'm not really so much anymore, but I was quite into Sam Harris and I still listen to him occasionally. But Sam Harris is, if you're not, if you're not familiar with his name, he was one of the four horsemen. Um, and the four horsemen were like basically the new atheists, the new famous sort of literary atheists who were in vogue maybe 2006 uh, until one of them, Christopher Hitchens, died 2008. So that was Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, um, Dan Dennett, and um, what's his face? Richard Dawkins. So Sam Harris is basically the most famous remaining member of the Four Horsemen. And and he became famous basically as an atheist. What's interesting now is that he is one of the most famous uh, meditation practitioners. He also has his own uh, meditation app where he guides you through a lot of meditation. And if you're interested in meditation, I suggest you check it out. Why this is fascinating to me is because someone who has excised or exorcised, perhaps I should say, uh, all sorts of religion from his life has become basically quite obsessed with accessing his subconscious through meditation, which I think is one of the main uh, reasons for meditation. Because even if you don't are accessing your subconscious while you are meditating, you're clearing your conscious mind of barriers to accessing your unconscious mind and i think it's your unconscious mind or your subconscious where all our wisdom lies our creativity lies our ideas 
um, our answers. And if you if you imagine that in the past we have created ideas of gods uh, as these external, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-knowing metaphors, basically, who required certain rituals and pra- prayers and sacrifices uh, to be appeased, then it kind of makes sense that we have this is all in the service of a metaphor for the answers that we kind of already know in this incredible omnip- uh, om- om- omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, one of those omni words uh, that we kind of know already. Um, I, I might be losing my sentences here and going up my own ass, but basically I think I've made my point. One of the things that the, the uh, therapist who was working with us on this retreat said was that he who never goes within will always go without. And I think that's a pretty damn good summary of the benefits of thinking about our subconscious and the answers that are already in there. Salvador Dali actually had a very good way of accessing his subconscious. And if you have ever fallen asleep uh, during the middle of the day and dozed off and sort of been woken up again, you would know the feeling of your subconscious mind flooding out into your conscious mind and being halfway between sort of a hallucinatory dream stage and being awake and present. And Dali believed that that was the state that gave him the most creativity, the most ideas. And so he would sit on a chair or an armchair and he had a spoon in his hand and there was a saucer underneath it so that when he actually fell asleep, the spoon would drop and he would wake up and he would remember all these ideas that had just flooded into his uh, consciousness because obviously you can't really remember them when you wake up. So, I don't know what my point is about all this, but it did strike me as an interesting idea that if our subconscious mind or if our religions and what we think of as God is actually just a metaphor for our subconscious and the power that we have in there, then maybe it essentially means that we are gods and our potential is far beyond what we consider right now. Uh, especially when you factor the idea that we have mini subconsciouses, subconscious subconsciousnesses <laughs> that are walking around with us uh, in our hands in the form of phones. Although in some ways, it's like the all-seeing, all-knowing eyes and ears of those phones, those sensors are actually going to other people, which is kind of weird when you think about it. Like all this time we've lived on the earth our subconscious has stored the information of our senses and yet now for the first time in history there's a device that we're carrying around that's listening and uh, learning from us and that information is not uh, being stored in our subconscious in fact it's going to somebody else and they're learning things about us in the same way that our subconscious learns about us and our subconscious learns about our biases and what we like and what we don't like and feeds our body signals uh, when we encounter things we don't do and don't like, and that's that's what results in not only Lacan's sonic boom, but also the adrenaline spikes in a game of Counter Strike, or um, going uh, weak at the knees when you see the glimpse of a girl getting onto a bus who you have a crush on, or even I think too that uh, idea of um, the predictive brain, which I have really only the most basic kindergarten knowledge of. But it's a, it's a theory that's been 
studied and proven in the last couple of years that, as far as I can tell, that our brains actually know what we're going to do before we do it. Um, and I had a, a girl who came to see a room in my house yesterday to see if she wanted to rent it. She's a neuroscience student. I think she's a PhD or a master's. And she's focusing on this exact thing. Uh, and it brings up a lot of questions about free will because it appears that what we think of us, the moment we think of us actually making a choice is past the pack, past the fact where we actually have been recorded by these machines that are recording, I think, our brain, I think it's an MRI machine or something, um, past the fact where those are recording that we have actually already made the decision, which brings into question the idea of whether free will actually exists. And, you know, if I keep going on down this path, I'll get more onto Sam Harris. Um, but, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say, really. This was not an episode that I had time to plan. I didn't have time to watch many of the games in detail. Uh, so that's why I think we should probably end with a little more Chopin. And this is from the same opus, 10. It's number three. You might recognize it. And while listening to this, maybe if you've got a spare couple of minutes to just enjoy the genius of this man, it's interesting to think about the fact that at the time, well, I think this is actually a little bit later in life, this composition, but he basically got his start properly and hit really hit his straps his stride with his career when he moved to paris and was surrounded by other geniuses of his generation like list and schumann uh, mendelssohn and that was singular input into his subconscious just thousands and thousands of combinations of melodies and notes and Listen to what this guy achieved with not only the encouragement and competition of his peers, but the singular dedication and determination to access the very best that his God, aka his subconscious, could throw up. So until next time, enjoy the champion stage of the Berlin Major. Mm -hmm.